Hmm. Lord, you're no stranger to pain. You've suffered more than any of us. And may we somehow catch something of your heart uh, for us tonight around this, this subject. Thank you that your longing for us is healing, fullness, freedom. So would you meet with us tonight? Speak to our hearts as well as to our minds. Renew us, O oh God. In your great love for us, we ask. We welcome you here, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Move amongst us. Reveal more of the beauty of Jesus to us, that we would worship him and choose to follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. So our, our overall theme for tonight is going to be from pain to purpose. Um, but before we get into that, we didn't quite finish off last night. Um, hi, Jeanette. You, you are here. Is Debbie coming, do you know? She's coming. All right. Mind moving back? Yeah, we might have to get you to <laughs> shuffle back, Alan. I do apologize. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you for being flexible. Appreciate that. So, the reality is, as we were reflecting this morning, we live in a world where pain is inevitable. So, it's not a matter of when I'm going to get hurt. It's or rather, if I'm going to get hurt, it's more a matter of when, how often, by whom, and more importantly, what do I do with that? And we want to think about what happens to painful emotions. Essentially, when we speak about hurt, there's a very simple relational equation. God has created us with needs fundamentally to connect with one another. When our needs are left unmet, or worse, we actually experience the opposite. So I need acceptance, but I experience rejection. It triggers an emotional response initially of hurt. We're wired to feel that because we're created to live in loving relationships where love is freely given and received. But of course, things have gone wrong. We're somewhat broken. And so that's not always our experience. But what happens to painful emotions that we experience? Does time heal all wounds? Do they just dissolve and dissipate? Or maybe worse, do we allow those experiences to be the shaping forces in our lives? Do we allow them to define us? Do we allow them to shape how we choose to live? very often out of self-protection. I've been hurt once, I never want to be hurt again. Anyway, we promised you a little skit last week. Lo and behold, we will give it a go. And there is a, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you kind of can see it on the camera. Um, no, 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 it'll be fine. I can it is. Hope this works. Nancy, I'm glad you've come in today. I appreciate you seeing me. I probably should have done this a long time ago. 
But to tell you the truth, I feel a bit guilty for even being here. I mean, other people have a lot of, have it a lot worse than I do. I guess I just can't handle life as well as most people can. Nancy, the truth is everyone has problems and everyone need, needs help. So I commend you for being here and admitting your need. Why don't we start with a little background information? Give me a, a brief overview of your life. Let's see. I was raised in a good home. Pretty typical, I guess. Mum and Dad seemed to have a, good, a decent relationship. Mum was a housewife and Dad was gone a lot. Mostly working lots of hours at the plant. He was hardly ever home. But he did provide for our physical needs. Were you close to your parents? Hmm. I guess Mum and I were close. I've never really thought about it. And I always wanted to be close to Dad. But he was gone a lot. And when he was at home, it seemed he preferred spending time with my brother. How did that make you feel? Well, I know he was doing the best he could. Well, Nancy, that's not really what I asked. Your dad obviously did the best he knew how. But that doesn't mean it was the best for you. Now try again. How did it make you feel not to have your dad around when he was at home? Or for him to pay more attention to your brother? Hmm. I feel guilty saying it. But I really resented my brother for being his favourite. Over a period of time, I felt slighted and rejected, like I wasn't really important to my dad. Did you ever get to talk to your dad about it? I thought about talking to him, but one day I shared my frustration with my mum. She just said it was normal for a father to spend time with his son. Tell me a bit about your teenage years. Were you close to anyone during the adolescent years? Oh yes, I had one great friend in junior high school. Her name was Cindy. We were so close to each other. We shared everything. She wasn't a trained psychologist, obviously, but we were always together and we would talk for hours. And how long did the relationship last? Well, that brings up what I would consider to be my first big event in life. We moved. And what grade were you in? The eighth grade. Dad just announced at the dinner table one night that we were moving. No discussion, no questions asked or answered. We moved the next month. The saddest day of my life was saying goodbye to Cindy. We just cried. And how was the new home environment? Not all that good. Dad was gone even more, and he started to drink more. We never got involved in a church, and I had a hard time adjusting to the new school. I was taller than most of the girls in ninth grade. I was five feet ten inches. At my new school, they nicknamed me Giraffe. I knew they were joking, but it was still hurtful and embarrassing. I managed to make it through high school, went to a local college and got a degree in business. Were your college years peaceful or traumatic? By and large, they were fine. Everyone was friendly. I made good grades. That's where I met Robert. Was he a student? No, he'd already graduated. He worked in the student centre. I fell head over heels in love with him, an older man, and then we got married. I thought we would live happily ever after. 
When did you realize it was going to be different? Robert was never physically or verbally abusive. He was just always emotionally removed. I'd have to beg him for attention. When our two children were born, I thought they would be the glue to hold us together. But I was wrong. If anything, Robert paid more attention to the kids than he did to me. Then came the ominous D-Day. I was home with the kids when Robert sent me the divorce papers. It was the worst day of my life. That was 18 months ago. Since then, it seems my life has fallen apart. I had to go back to work, but I don't like my job. I'm under tremendous financial pressure. And all I hear people say is, just trust God. And what symptoms are you displaying? Well, my sleep is erratic. Sometimes I can't sleep at night. Other times that's all I can do. I'm angry and I'm irritable with the kids. I have headaches. I often feel depressed. And no matter how hard I try, I can't feel any positive emotions. I'm a basket case. Can you help me? Okay. <laughs> don't don't give up the day job. <laughs> so painful emotions, unless we learn how to deal with them, stay with us. You know, it's been said you, when we bury them, we bury them alive, and they therefore accumulate. They don't just linger. And so kind of this is a bit of a pictorial representation. We talk about the emotional cup. And over time, we can just find layers and layers of these painful emotions left to themselves. And there's consequence to that. The consequence of a full cup of painful emotion is we suffer through that. It creates stress for us. It doesn't, it doesn't put us in a good position to engage in healthy ways. Um, it's hard, as was said, to feel anything positive because we only have certain capacity for emotion. It's not unlimited. And then our own personal spillage, you know, the symptoms of what's in the cup, begins to affect other people around us. What they experience from us is not so much what's in the cup, but the symptoms of that, the behavioral side of things. Hard for us to give. Hard for us to do that good emotional responding when we're full of our own stuff. And so we tend to bounce off of each other and miss each other. Some of you will have seen this picture. Get this one off the screen. Oops. Um, it's called the window of tolerance. And it's this idea that, you know, this is how our brain functions. And we have, we have this, this window of tolerance, the comfort zone. This is the place where we're able to cope with the things that come our way. Whether they're good things or bad things, we can kind of take them, respond well to them, and, um, and, and feel somewhat I mean, in control. However, when we get outside of our window of tolerance, either through hyper-arousal, which initiates the fight-flight response, and quite literally our brains re revert back to that sort of more animalistic self-protection, we will do whatever we can in that situation. Or the hypoarousal, which is where we literally shut down. The body, you know, the brain is protecting the body and it will actually shut down some of the functions within it. 
Uh, people have talked about counseling children and as they get in touch with the trauma of their experiences, they've seen them literally just faint and collapse on the floor because it's the brain literally protecting the body. Now the question is, how do we live within the comfort zone? How do we live within that window of tolerance? And how big is it? Well, this is where an understanding about the nature of the emotional cup and what's within us plays a part. Because we've got to learn to actually process emotion, empty emotion from the cup in a healthy way, but also expand as our window. You can do that. There are some ideas on the picture here. Um, but what I found really interesting is hearing somebody talk about this was what, what most helps us increase our capacity are simple, loving interactions with others. When we share how we're feeling with someone, when we respond to someone, when we take the trouble to enter into someone's world and ask them how they're doing and, and feel a sense of connection, when we empathize, when we have somebody express care towards us and give to us in a meaningful way, that quite literally has an effect on us and our capacity for dealing with the stuff of life. This is why aloneness is such a problem. Not good for us. God has wired us to, to need healthy loving relationships. And obviously when those go wrong, there's an emotional impact and there's a, you know, the way we choose to live, it affects our behavior. But we also need that connection just for healthy um, sense of well-being. Some of us are more introverted than others. Some of us enjoy our own company, but none of us, I don't think, are wired to live in isolation from others. It's just the manner in which we experience that connection with different people. Hello, can you hear me? <laughs> so you just see on the right hand side there, I think it's really helpful to look at that list. Um, one of the things I learned about... If you can read it. Yeah. Can you... The orange box. Um, learning some self-soothing techniques. I realised that I carry so much tension in my jaw. And so I'm learning that in my, if, you know, to expand this window of tolerance, just some little <clears throat> tips like, oh, my jaw's tense. I need to relax it. Just learn to listen to your body because, you know, you will, you will carry this tension in different parts of your body. And the more you're familiar with this, you know, you'll learn, okay, I don't, I can let go of some of that. But just a simple thing like that, you know, unclenching your teeth. Our daughter, she grinds her teeth at night and, she, you know, she carries so much in her body. But learning that about yourself, where do you carry that tension? Where do you feel it? and learn to recognize it, kind of be able to let go of it and relax. I have a little app on my phone, the Breathe app. And every now and again, I'll come up and say, breathe. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I've been breathing all day, come on. But it's, it's conscious breathing. It's that sense of, can I just stop and realize I'm taking in breath, which to us who believe is the breath of God. God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. And that sense of the spirit in us, that God is as close as our breath. Some, way, some say, 
you know, the, the word for God, uh, Yahweh, it's like from the beginning to the end of life. The first is Yah, which is like taking in breath, and Hue, which is like expelling air. And from the moment that we're born until our last breath, God is mixed up and in the midst of that. But are we ever conscious of that? And we have to learn to slow down, to be with God and with one another to that end. Now, our emotional cups go with us wherever we are. You can't park them, <laughs> leave them at home, I've got, I've got to go out, I've got to be on my best behavior. No, it goes with you. You've only got one, whether you're at work, at church, at play, wherever, you take with you your emotional state. Now, when we learn, and basically we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about how God has made provision for processing our emotions to free us from the unhealthy aspects of painful emotions, because we've got to learn how to do that. And when you do that work, lo and behold, our symptoms begin to change. If you want to change your behavior, try to connect with the emotions that are triggering the behavior. Now, there's also a thought life. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. But remember, our emotional kind of makeup represents about four-fifths of who we are versus one-fifth from the rational. So um, healthy emotions are so vital and important. But also, as we empty, we create more capacity for positive emotion. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Well, we know that, but sometimes we just can't get there. Well, that's probably an indication of stuff in our cup that is hindering our doing that. Not just with God, but with one another. So, general principles, God wants you to be free. God wants you to live in a greater experience of positive emotion. Jesus came to give abundant life. He says, in me you shall have peace. This is what he wants for us. And to that end, he cares about the fact that we also experience pain. And he involves himself with us in that place. God's word has the answer. God has spoken in a way, both through his word and through his son, to demonstrate how to live this abundant life. The other thing, as we'll press into a lot more, particularly with pain tonight and hurt, is that God has provided an antidote for each of them. And there's only one for these categories or layers of emotion we experience in our cup. And, um, and ultimately what helps set us free is truth. But not truth just in some sort of concept I'm supposed to understand and believe, but truth in a person I'm called to know. The Lord Jesus. He brings freedom. He does it through relationship, through my not only knowing and believing upon him, but experiencing him through his spirit. But of course, these things can hinder us even doing that if we're honest. And it's vital that we see that the spiritual life is a growth in emotional freedom and connection as much as spiritual and physical, for that matter. It's the whole of our being. We're just focusing on that emotional realm because it often gets ignored like we looked at last time. So there's a question over the page, if you have your notes from last week. 
Which of the painful emotions and symptoms of a full cup did you most often observe in your family while you were growing up? What was a predominant emotion or symptomatic behavior that you experienced whilst you were growing up? It's question four. Question four on the reflection time. So just ponder a little bit. Because part of, part of maturing and growing is to be able to see and discern and understand what emotions are at play. And to think about, well, why are they doing that? Why are they saying that? It's not random. <laughs> it's connected. So what might you observe growing up in your family of origin? So these symptoms that spill out in terms of behavior, you see in the picture of the emotional cup. Just take a couple of moments at your table and um, share about that. So we're just gonna talk about this bottom layer of the cup tonight. And um, we do that because really hurt is kind of the most frequently experienced of painful emotions. Sadly, a reflection of the world that we live in. Um, but also because if we don't learn about pain and hurt um, and how to deal with that well, we will live with the consequence of other emotions that get triggered by that. Hurt is typically always the primary emotional response. Other emotions are secondary to hurt. And so hurt is the root of the issue very often because it's a lack of love. Why Jesus tells us to love one another. So things like anger, fear, shame are often rooted in pain. And sometimes in the church, we want to deal with those without reference to the pain. And we can't. We're not wired like that. So characteristics of hurt, I'm on our notes for tonight now. Um, like I said, hurt is inevitable. Jesus himself said, as well as in me, you shall have peace. The context for that was also in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will suffer tribulation. There will be pain, like the movie, there will be blood. It's going to happen. So what do we do about it? And maybe one of the prime characteristics of maturity in our faith is precisely at this point, what do we do at the point of being hurt? One of the most astounding things about Jesus is his ability to offer care from the cross. I don't understand it. And the soldiers couldn't understand it either because they would have been used to people hollering, screaming, profanities, unimaginable things. And what Jesus says is things like, Father, forgive them. He takes care of his mother. I mean, this is extraordinary, isn't it? And I think it's at the point of pain that challenges us the most. And for that, I think we've got to be open to, um, connected with our pain, recognizing it, labeling it, feeling it, 
acknowledging it's real rather than trying to stuff it, hide it, put on a smiley face or whatever it may be. But in the midst of that, be also open to the spirits working and meeting us in that place, inviting us on this journey from pain to purpose. To, does God have purpose in the midst of my suffering and my trouble? And we're suggesting that he does. This is the message of the cross. This is the way of Jesus. Now, hurt comes from various sources. As well as from people, it comes from the circumstances of our life. I said earlier that ultimately it's about needs going unmet. But the people closest to us obviously have the greatest potential to hurt us the most because we have the most invested in those relationships. We expect more. Hurt takes many forms, disappointment, embarrassment, offense, betrayal, frustration, abandonment, sadness. These are all categories of the same kind of aspect of hurt and pain. And there are obviously different sizes of that. It's not one size fits all. Some things are more serious than others. But we should never dismiss any hurt. It's a genuine human emotion. Often been in a situation where people are hearing painful stories and have an opportunity to talk about themselves, and it's like, oh, I mean, compared to what I've just heard, man's nothing. Well, no, that's not true. Pain is pain. It's your story. It's relevant. However, um, we have to treat it appropriately as well. So we talked last week about the flat tire, remember, in the rain. But compared to being laid off from my job or being abandoned by my parents, it's not as traumatic. It's still pain, but it's not the same measure. Now, all of us, because of our stories, have unique areas of um, sensitivity or vulnerability. The goal should be, because of our increasing awareness about that, this is why knowing ourselves is such a vital part of growing ourselves, understanding the, the experiences, and particularly the more painful or traumatic ones that have shaped me in some of my response and how God meets me in that place, is meant to give me a sensitivity to the pain of others and a recognition that we're all hurting and we're all messed up. I'm a mess, you're a mess. Seriously, yeah. Therefore, we've got to be careful not to argue with one another as to whether or not a person should have felt hurt, which we can sometimes do. But we've actually got to learn to validate each other's pain. Understanding that that's not the end of the story. It's not what defines us, but it is a part of our experience. I worked uh, for a number of years with um, a president of a company up in the Northeast in Rhode Island, incredibly talented guy running a large company, mortgage company. And, and he would go to finance meetings in Washington, meeting with you know top politicians, the rest of it, bankers. And more often than not, he would feel embarrassed and out of place. 
I got to understand that part of his story was that as a young man, his mother went through a terrible illness and he actually left school to go and care for his mother. And he always felt that that put him on the back foot because he didn't have the qualifications that some of these other people had. And he so he saw himself in that light. Now, the job he was doing was an incredibly high amount of responsibility and a significant job. But he lived with the shame of not matching up because of what he'd experienced through those times. And it'd been a hard journey for him, but he demonstrated exceptional care for his mother. He sacrificed some of his own preferences for her sake. But he struggled in a way to be proud of that and to feel that's a positive thing. He's a Christian. And it shaped very often how he was in those situations. It was a burden on him. And so part of this is just to understand where, where's my vulnerability? What are the experiences I've had? Some of you know I um, probably one of the more, more traumatic experiences of mine in a professional sense in ministry was being having a deteriorating relationship with a, um, a church leader that I was working with who was hired by the church when I was already there, so much so that he eventually put me out of the church, but suffered a lot not pleasant treatment in the midst of that and um, lost my job, lost potentially our home, lost livelihood. Um, and it wasn't a healthy situation. I was not perfect, but there were some serious issues. So much so that every single person who worked with him experienced the same, if not worse, until such time as eventually it just all collapsed around him. But there's a sensitivity in me in there with people in authority, church leaders, people who can abuse power and misuse that because of that. I don't want that to define me that everyone is like that. <laughs> and that's important that I don't do that. But nevertheless, it's a part of my story. And there's a, there's a sensitivity. What about you? Is there, is there a sensitivity in you because of your story? That when people get close to that, or this smells like, looks like, feels like a previous experience, uh, you know there's a sort of a bit of a reaction in you because of that. Anyone else got an example of that? I know that's good, see? So I anchored in Ontario in grade 13, so instead of being in high school university, I went to the middle. It was more like the discipleship college. So that always, to this day, I still have dreams of going to school, dragging three children around, telling them to be quiet so I can pay attention. So every job I've had, more or less, has been given to me. I'm not qualified for it, so I feel really honored, but yet I always feel like mm. I'm not qualified mm. for this job. Mm. I don't have the credentials to mm. have this job, mm. and that's always been a, yeah. 
I did have a similar situation with the boss, and it wasn't my credentials. He, uh, we didn't see eye to eye. I'm unusual with flexible with people, but he, um, he had promised my job to one of his colleagues in the building. He left. When I found that out later, I was relieved because it made me feel like I didn't do a good enough job for him. He fired me. Right. <laughs> fired or let go. So really yeah. rattled my cage mm. that way. Mm. So I thought I, I never want to be under that much stress. That mm. I'm working extra hours, not sleeping well, just to prove myself. And we could so do that, couldn't we? Yeah. background, I was yeah. like, I have to work twice as hard because I'm not qualified. Free from some of that. Thank you, Audrey. <clears throat> you know, I spent a, I spent about a year trying to find a position to, to leave the one I was in in this difficult situation, and that culminated in a potential job in Surrey, in the south of England, which. I was kind of the number one, the church wanted us to go. We'd kind of taken the kids, we looked at the house and made plans. And then a church archdeacon, who was kind of the trustee of the church, just stepped in and said, no, I don't want you, you're a charismatic, and I've got somebody I want in the role. And the church went, kind of fought them for a week or so, and then eventually sort of had to capitulate. And, and we were left high and dry, and that was another part of that same story. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, I mean, as you look back, you can see God in this, but in the moment, it's like, where on earth are you, God? Don't you see what I'm doing? Now, the antidote for hurt is always the same. It's one of those relational needs. It's the relational need of comfort. When I'm hurting, I need somebody to comfort me. I need somebody to empathize, feel my pain. That's why we're encouraged to weep with those who weep, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because that is the antidote to pain. That somebody would care sufficiently that I'm hurting and communicate and demonstrate that in some way. It sounds simplistic, it sounds like there should be something else, but irrespective of the nature of the hurt and the size of it, the antidote is the same, comfort. Now, I think we need other things as well to help us keep moving, but in the moment of shared pain, we need people to weep with us, to feel our pain. Now, the good news is Jesus experienced every dimension of pain we could ever experience. Obviously, in a physical sense, as he's got here. How do you all get on after that 40 days of fasting? That 40th day is a bit tricky, isn't it? We don't really know, do we? But he had his, obviously went through tremendous physical suffering in his crucifixion. But he knew emotional pain as much as any of us will. Whether it was the rejection of his hometown, his being labeled as demon-possessed, as we've got here, rejected by his family, insulted by his disciples, disappointed with his closest friends, betrayed, left alone, abandoned, embarrassed, mocked, cursed. I mean, talk about emotional pain. 
Talk about isolation, so much so that even in a spiritual sense, the cry of dereliction as it's known, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the cry of the one who'd lived eternity, knowing the Father's presence, and he didn't know it in that moment. Such was the darkness. And so there's great reassurance, I think. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But more so, who would care for our tribulations as well. And uh, the verse that's such an important part of this, um, this process is this verse from 2 Corinthians, where Paul writes right at the beginning. And it's even more powerful, I think, because of the context in which he's writing to this community that is kind of questioning and rejecting his ministry. But he speaks of this God of all comfort. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. In this world, you will have trouble, and God comforts us. He doesn't protect us from it. But he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So this is why it's a relational need, because it's the one and others of the New Testament. As you receive from God, so give. As your relationship with God is marked by a God who meets you in the place of your pain, you do that for one another. Comfort one another. And I am in the midst of that. In fact, Jesus said, I will send you another comforter to be with you, the Holy Spirit. And so a chief characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that he's a comforter. That he is the God present with us in the midst of, we're between crucifixion and resurrection, we're awaiting the fulfillment. We're in a world that's still broken and with, in which we do battle and in which we get hurt. But God hasn't removed us from that world. On the contrary, he's felt his, our pain with us. He's taken our pain upon himself. But he sends his spirit to come alongside us, to comfort us. And I believe also to empower us to become comforters. And part of the journey from pain to purpose is a journey from pain to compassion. For that, we've got to get in touch with our own pain and know what it feels like, so we know what it feels like for others to be in pain, so that we can be an expression of compassion to people. There's, there's no surprise, one of the chief shocking con aspects of Jesus' ministry was that he looked on the crowds with compassion. He cared about them. Yeah, he spoke with authority, yeah, he healed the sick, yeah, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, but he had compassion for people in their isolation. And that's why he particularly had a heart for the poor, for the destitute, for the leper, for the widow, the orphan, those on the fringes. Because he knew we need that. So at your tables, just take a moment. On the, on the back of your notes, a discussion question. John 11, 17 to 37, you don't have to read the whole of that. But that's the story of the raising of Lazarus. His friend. 
And as Jesus approached the tomb, he saw Mary and her friends weeping. And the Bible says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why was Jesus weeping? How is this an example of empathy? <laughs> and what have he might have been tempted to say to put an end to their weeping? Or might we be tempted to say if we'd been in his place? All right. So what did he come up with? What might Jesus have been tempted in his humanity? What might we have said given if we knew what was going to happen? What might we be tempted to say? What are you thinking? I've got this covered. It's not a problem. It's all going to work out in the end. God's on his throne. Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Are these all true? Of course they're true. Are they helpful? Not one bit. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, quit your crying. <laughs> As I heard my dad say, and if you don't, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Remember that one? Oh, yes. So, what we're trying to say here is, you know, hurt is very often this primary emotional response. And quite often it triggers other emotional responses especially if not properly dealt with. So for instance, somebody does something that's hurtful, disappointing, I can find myself getting angry. In fact, I may even not even be aware that I've been hurt because I'm just angry. I'm not sure why, I'm just angry. Now, of course, if my cup's full of anger already, it doesn't take much to make me angry. This is why this is important. Um, they can seem to be the initial or primary emotion, but they're not. We get angry because of injustice. Injustice is essentially a lack of love. We're not living according to how God created us, which is to live in love when needs are recognized and met. People are not taken advantage of, abused. So they're often the result of being hurt. Jesus grieved in his spirit, hurt, looked at them in anger. It's normal, it's natural, it's not wrong, it's godly, because God is a God of justice and we bear that within us. But it's important for us to recognize both of the emotions. Remember I talked a little bit about the kind of disconnect with my youngest daughter, if you were here last time. And there's hurt there. We've had a good conversation this week. But she also talked about she was mad with me for leaving. She was angry. I could say, well, I didn't do it intentionally. Didn't mean to hurt you. But that's kind of self-protective, isn't it? That's more about me than it is about her. But how about you? Last time you were angry. If you've ever been angry, I don't want to presume. What might have been an underlying hurt? It's best to make a note on the page. Can you remember the last time you got angry? Frustrated, annoyed, ticked. Why? 
what did somebody do or say something that triggered that? Did you just wake up one morning and decide to be angry? No. Can you connect with the pain? Now, hurt could also lead to fear. I'll pause when we've done these. We'll have a break and then we'll do a little bit of sharing. So again, when we don't deal with pain well, <clears throat> which is to do with what I experienced in the past, it triggers fear of something happening in the future. <clears throat> Back to my story with my daughter. <laughs> it's good to have fresh examples, isn't it? No. So as well as being hurt and mad, she also expressed some fear that being the only child without children, we're not going to go and visit her anyway. We're going to go where the grandkids are. That's a genuine fear. And it's important for us to hear that and understand that and to plan to prove her wrong. You know? But the fear is real. What do we do with that? Well, first and foremost, we focus on the pain. We're doing fear in a couple of weeks. No, three weeks, actually, because we're taking a break. But understand that past pain can trigger future fear. It happened once. I'm anxious. It's going to happen again. This happened, so therefore, more than likely, this is going to happen. And she genuinely believed that that is true. Not because we've said, oh, we'll never be able to come and visit you because you've got no kids but it's a truth to her but it's rooted in the pain of our leaving what about you have you felt apprehensive about the future or something coming up and may some past pain contribute to that anxiety worry fear apprehension Just invite you to be a little bit of self-awareness and check within yourself. <clears throat> we had um, somebody who actually thought was a, a good friend, person we had sweet fellowship with, embezzled us out of $30,000, took it and spent it. Carol still coaches his wife. And at times it's hard. And when you're in a place when you're not sure about finance, <laughs> you can be anxious that, will we have enough? It came to light when I need the money to buy a house that I committed to and it wasn't there. And all of a sudden, what are we going to do? Well, the amazing thing is we see God's hand in all of that. And we're reassured about the provision of God. But we're also question relationships and what people can do to you. How about you? Any past hurts may contribute to feelings of apprehension and fear. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, like the note says here, 
um, not all fear is because of past hurt. When we look at that, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit more, but often it can be. And then finally, hurt can also lead to feelings of condemnation, shame. We go from experiencing pain to believing that we're a bad person in some way. Some of you will have, and I've showed one or two videos by Brené Brown, who's done a lot of research in our culture around the place of shame and how it keeps us from intimate, connected relationships. It's one of the primary drivers of aloneness in our culture. And it's irrational. But it's an attack on our self-image and our self-worth and who we really are. In my conversation with my daughter, she shares of how hard her whole 20s were because of a feeling that she was a disappointment to me. I mean, that just wrecked me to hear that. To believe that somehow my sense of love or appreciation for her would be rooted in how she performed is the enemy's trick and deceit. But pain causes us to go down that road. Spent some time with somebody today and just the place of, you know, severe trauma causing them to live a life not feeling they measure up. They're guilty, they're no good, and can never be good. It's a lie, it's not truth, but it's rooted in pain, it's rooted in trauma. It's rooted in a lack of love, being let down severely. How about you? Do you struggle at times with condemning thoughts? as to who you are and what you're worth and what you can contribute, how people perceive you. And might that somehow be connected in some way with some hurt, perhaps even an unresolved hurt in your life. Think about that for a moment. So here's, let's take a bit of a break. Um, but I'd like you in the context of the break to maybe reflect about one of these, if you can. No pressure. But uh, because sometimes we actually need to walk with someone. We need to kind of unpack our life a little bit and help. somebody can help us self-reflect about things going on. We spend a lot of time sitting with people helping them do that. Uh, because sometimes we just go through life not really thinking about what's happening and what's going on inside. But it's really, you know, it's an important relational skill to be self-aware and uh, understand and see some of these connections. And therefore, hopefully begin to see some way forward and some hope towards this sense of purpose out of my pain, not just pain. Many people get stuck in that place and never recover and take their lives because they can't find a way forward. But many continue to live, but don't live and feel they have nothing to contribute. That's not the abundant life. 
The other thing I wanted to just say on that layer, the condemnation one, and we will talk about that in the coming weeks, but it's, it's the only one that the Lord doesn't want us to feel. Uh, the other ones, yes, you know, they're, they're normal, but condemnation, shame, we're not to feel that. Um, but some of us are more prone to kind of camp out there, as I am, or have been. Uh, but even just sitting here, I'm remembering um, a time in high school where I set my hair on fire in a chemistry lesson. And the teacher, I don't know if I've told you this, I can't remember, um, is kind of trying to, he leaps across the classroom and he's going, you stupid girl. And even to this day, when I do something and I, you know, there's an accident or whatever, I'll have those words going through my head, you stupid girl. And, you know, these things are just so powerful and uh, being aware of it and, and learning, okay, I'm not a stupid girl. I just made a mistake and all of that. And, you know, at the time it can feel like the end of the world, uh, but learning, no, mm. it's not, it's not mm. the end of the world mm. and just being able to admit mistakes. It's okay. It's a healthy thing. So. So it's, I wanted to stress that it's the only one that we're, we're not, not, meant, we're not no. meant to feel. Now, in that instance, the words caused pain, but they also triggered a thought. And it's, and it's energized by the pain. It's energized by the emotion of pain. So much so that I believe it's true. Speaking with somebody whose father committed suicide when they were two, believed it was her fault at two years old. I mean, how horrendous is that? But that's what we do. That's what, that's what Jesus came to set us free from. So um, we'll start back at 25 past. But if you can, if, you know, maybe just with one other person, maybe reflect around one of these. If you're able, don't feel bad if you're not. Um, but like I say, we'll, we'll kind of recommence at 7.25, people online. So what I'm suggesting to you in terms of this journey from pain to purpose, the, the purpose is compassion. I think the purpose is that we become a people who are proficient at processing our own pain and also helping other people do the same. Can we become a people of comfort? A community of comforters. As I said, there's more to it than that, but without that, we just exacerbate the pain. We make it worse because we leave people alone. What people need in the moment, remember last time, head to head, heart to heart. When I share the heart, I need your heart. And that's what comfort is. It's my share in my heart. Now we do that alongside the Lord. This is how the Lord ministers comfort to me, through you. That's why he says, now comfort one another. What you've received from so-so came from me, now give it away. You can do that. That's why the, remember that old anointing thing we looked at this morning? That's why you have the anointing, to comfort, amongst other things. And all of us are called to this. So we've got this little four-step process. What do you do when you're hurting? Find it, feel it, share it, receive care. 
You've got to find it. You've got to connect with the pain inside of you. <clears throat> and part of that connecting means because it's alive in you, you can actually feel it. In fact, you're going to go back 20 years and feel pain from then. You can have a memory, and in your brain is recorded the emotion. It's a part of you. And literally, you can start to feel the, the, the hairs on your neck, right? And you know, there's an emotional, visceral response, because it's a part of you if it's not processed. So we've got to find it, feel it, and then we've got to share it. We've got to talk with another. We can talk with God about it, but it's powerful when we talk with another person, another human being, who then has an opportunity to comfort us, and we can receive care. Talking with Frank a little while ago, you know, the, the, the visceral anger response is much more common, particularly, well, in most of us, men especially, but not exclusively, because it feels powerful. <laughs> and in fact, often when we're hurting, we want to hurt back. Now, what causes us to do that is a full cup. Because remember, we've no, no capacity. We're out of our comfort zone, out of our zone of tolerance. Now, man, you're in trouble. I'm coming at you. I have to create capacity to absorb your whatever and respond the old non-anxious presence. Can I, can I be present to you in the place you're at, even if you're angry, and take it, but not reciprocate? This takes maturity, doesn't it? This takes the Lord. <laughs> but that's what he's given to you for, is to do this. That's how we break the cycle. Somebody has to say, I will take it and not give it back. This is what the cross is all about. The victory of the cross is absorbing the sin of humanity and responding with grace. That's exactly what we're, called, we're all called to do in order to break the cycle of pain and conflict and division and separation. So to actually own the pain and communicate that feels weak. It's very vulnerable. It's, it's inviting you into a place in me that is sensitive. Tender. I know a guy who, working with guys, getting them to share about their feelings, he uses the little acronym SASHET. S-A-S-H-E-T. SASHET. Sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. It's helpful to have something like this, because we're terrible at doing this, but you've got to get used to sharing. I say you've got to get better at sharing your joy as well as your sorrow. Because that invites others to rejoice with you as well. And that is better than rejoicing on your own. Because we're wired for connection. So, do we have a journey? Do we have people we're huddling with? I use the language. Are there people who know us who are safe enough to be like this with? Is there somebody in our lives? And if we're going to be discipling others, we're going to be helping them process pain. You can guarantee it. And they're Growth as a Christian is going to be hindered unless they learn how to deal with that pain and allow the Lord to touch them through you at the point of pain. It's not enough to talk to the dog about it. <laughs> We'd rather talk to the dog because the dog smiles and he's happy to see me all the time. <laughs> Love dogs. But don't stuff it, ignore it, or minimize it. That's all I learned to do growing up. Stuff it, ignore it, minimize it. 
distract myself from it, numb it. It's the classic Western response, and it's the very worst thing we can do. Remember, we bury it alive. Share your hurt, but not your anger. Typically, when you, share, when you act in anger, it's okay for people to know you're angry, but don't act in anger, because you'll probably hurt back. And that's what we do. And then we feel guilty because we did something that hurt somebody else. And it, it's just this vicious cycle we get into. And then learn to receive comfort. This is why we all need to get better at giving, meeting this relational need because the world is full of trouble and God is a comforter and we're, we're invited to be that for one another. But we've got to first receive it. I found I was terrible at giving comfort. I'm still not great. I'm improved, aren't I? Because it's one of Carol's highest needs. Much better. And if our relationship is going to get anywhere, it's got to have comfort in it. Yes. But she still has to call me on it. But yes. one of the keys for me was getting in touch with my own pain and not minimizing it and sharing it and being comforted. I've known the comfort of people. I've known people weep over my pain. I've known the comfort of the Lord. And it's wondrous. But I would say I, I knew none of that growing up that I remember, because actually I, I hid it. I didn't share it, didn't know, didn't know I had to do that. And wasn't always safe to do that, still isn't. So when we receive comfort, receive it. Don't deflect, oh, that's okay, I'm fine. No, no, it's not a problem. Well, who said it's a problem? Just carry <laughs> But we do those things, don't we? Because we're uncomfortable with a bit of intimacy. Somebody sharing something with me about my pain. That feels weird at times initially, but that's incredibly human, incredibly godly. And we've got to learn to say, thank you. I received that, that means so much. And most often I, I experience people deflecting because we're not used to it. Just gotta get used to it. Gotta get used to God. <laughs> How comfortable are you at receiving comfort? It's a good question. <laughs> don't need it I'm good I love it you know we guys get together who needs prayer today I'm good no alright I'm riding the crest of the wave I have no needs of God because ultimately I've got to get vulnerable I've got to say no I do need something and wonder upon wonder I have a God who wants to meet that need because he's promised to meet all of my needs in Christ Jesus and very often that's through his body. How to respond to someone else who is hurting. So this is the other, you know, one's emotional expression, remember? Getting in touch with sharing it, feeling it, sharing it, receiving care. But the other is, what, am I, what if I'm on the other end of those things? What do I do with that? Now, when you know someone is hurting, if possible, try to enter their physical world. Try to be present to them. This is why in the place of conflict and pain, email and texts are a nightmare. Do not do it, people. I mean, text them and say, when can we get together? Especially if the conflict is between the two of you. <laughs> However, so this is, so we've talked a lot about the relational need of comfort. Another relational need is attention. This is this, this is that. This is entering somebody's world in the sense of being 
curious, interested, noticing. You seem to be a bit down. You're not yourself today. Do we intuit? And are we sensitive to those? Are we looking for opportunities? Um, well, you seem happy. What's going on? Because there's an opportunity to rejoice with somebody or to comfort. And it's one of those two. Remember, we've got positive emotions or we've got painful emotions. We're going to either rejoice with people or we're going to comfort them. That's it. In the moment of connected care, initially at least. So enter their physical world, but also enter their emotional world. Inviting them to share and allowing yourself to feel something that must feel like what they're feeling. This is why it helps to be in touch with your own pain. Because, I mean, I'm amazed how much I, I find tears coming when I'm listening to circumstances and situations and people's struggles and pain. I'm affected by those things. It is the realm of the affections, the emotional realm. Because we are all connected. Remember these little mirror neurons we have in our brain. When we see somebody experiencing something, our brain actually mirrors that activity. This is how God has created us, to reinforce our sense of connection and oneness with one another. It's amazing. Listen more, talk less. People will be often inquisitive. And, um, you know, there's a place for facts and information, but don't camp out there. Don't start there. Try to respond to the, in the emotion with emotion. And only have something that is to help you respond with more emotion. Because when somebody's in that place, they can't get in touch with the rational. They don't want to get in touch with the rational. They just, they're, they're feeling. They need you to feel with them. And there will come a time when they will, and there will be a place for the rational. All of those things are valid. All the truths in the scripture are all valid. But in that moment of shared pain, they're irrelevant. Well, that seems strong, doesn't it? Can the word of God be irrelevant in a certain moment? I think it can. Because the church is seen in our world as irrelevant because of our lack of compassion and care, often. Not only. Now, there's other forces at work in the world. But people should be at least curious because of our care, I would suggest. So I've got an example of why this didn't go well recently. Um, some of you know that we've been part of this Anglican Mission Summit conference thing these last three days. Thursday it started. And on the first day... Um, Mike was leading one of the small groups and so we were all we were all on Zoom and we, we had to share a celebration and a struggle. So we went first, I believe. We did. Um, and I got, well, we both got very vulnerable. In fact, I was in tears because, as you all know, my main struggle at the moment is I miss my kids and grandkids. And as I was talking about it, I was crying. And uh, one of the people, actually nobody said anything at first when we finished, because were, we were meant to kind of offer prayer and care and comfort and all this. And nobody said anything. And I just kind of sat there and I thought, okay, well, maybe they will eventually. And then one guy who is 
um, a chaplain said, oh, I'm looking at photos of Port Alberni uh, and there's these photos of carvings. What, what might these be? Literally. That, is what that he was said. what he said. And I thought, oh, maybe this ordained this, chaplain. Maybe this is going to lead into something else. And then he just said, well, I'll go next. I'll share next. And no one had offered to pray. No one had said anything. And there was another one on there who was a chaplain too. I was absolutely horrified. And I'm still in tears. <laughs> I was like, well, I think it might be carvings of, you know, First Nations. <laughs> but it was just, okay, well, this is a great example of what not to do. But, uh, you know, we leave people hanging and we're kind of poking each other <laughs> to the table because they should know better. And this is the these are church leaders, so not everyone is like that. But that was that's raw for me this week. <laughs> yeah, rational. And it's not uncommon. Nothing else. Experienced it this morning in the church. Yeah. So we just got to work at this and get better at it because we have, we're called to remove aloneness in each other's lives, not. Tell each other how much truth we have. Only. Be the truth. <laughs> so, unproductive responses. Well, there's some vocabulary here of, you know, this is very simple. It's just words, I'm, I'm so sorry, that must be so hard. I can't imagine what that must feel like. In fact, I don't even know what to say right now. But I want you to know I care. In fact, I feel, you know, my heart hurts just hearing your story. <clears throat> what is not helpful when someone is hurting are things like this. So, back to my daughter. Because I can come up with all the unproductive responses in the world. Advice, instruction. Why don't you focus on something positive going on in your life? You seem to be quite negative. <laughs> You know, that's really bringing you down. The pep talk. Guess one day you're going to be so much stronger because of this. You're a strong woman. God has given you so much. And this is just his working in you. And I can see the, the end product. It's awesome. Minimize. Well, I know we left, but we're only a flight away. All of these are true, by the way. I think. Anger. Well, I'm mad at you that you're so mad. Don't you think we're upset? The matter's complex. You think that's hard. We live in Port Alberni. <laughs> Beautiful place. Just think of all the restaurants you have to choose from in Austin. <laughs> the personal fear, anxiety. Well, the way things are going, we might never see each other again. I mean, genuinely, we don't know when. We can't even leave the country and hope to get back. Mr. Fix-It. 
well, I've got a plan. Why don't we set up a weekly meeting? Let's talk once a week at this time, and I'm sure that that's going to make you feel better. Spiritualizing. All things work together for good. We love that verse, don't we? Times I hate that verse. Of course, it's about the relevancy of truth in the moment. And we're just encouraging you to think about this. You know, when, when because we, we, we're sometimes just uncomfortable. We're just not used to, I'm not, how, do I, how do I say the right thing? Well, that's the wrong question. Be the right person. Be someone of care. Be someone who feels, and that's all you've got to do in that moment. And it's hugely powerful and hugely necessary. Where do you tend to go? <laughs> I'm inviting you to make notes here because in your homework, you get to talk with your journey mates and reflect around these things because we, we can't do all of this tonight. Um, and think about a situation where you perhaps improperly responded to someone who was hurting. <laughs> I've got too many of those. Well, this whole thing with my daughter started with that. And it came out of some sense of feeling a, a bad parent. Again, you know, I, I tend to be the self-reliant one, but I can go to the self-condemning voice easily as well. Yeah, I've moved this gal so many times, I've wrecked her life. What about you? Now, just to finish, what we're saying about the rational, like we say, a lot of these have truth to them and they're valuable. It's a matter of timing and sequence. In the moment, in the emotional moment, I've got to be present emotionally. But there's a time to, to invite them when they're in a place able to do that, to reflect rationally as well. Not to put things on people, but uh, we're trying to empower them to see truth and to live into truth and to, to be on this journey towards purpose out of my pain. Inviting the Lord to minister to me, to shape my life, for me to get a, a greater understanding and experience of his care for me and his love for me and the power of that love to heal me such that I can be an agent in other people's healing as well. Because we're on the earth to heal, to bring the kingdom, which is the kingdom of life under the Lordship of Christ. But it's going to meet people at the place they're at in their brokenness. And I think we supremely do that. And, you know, again, like we were saying, people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. We express that through compassion and uh, validating their situation. Even if they've made mistake after mistake and got themselves into a mess, nevertheless, they're feeling something. You might disagree entirely with them, but as a human being, can you care about what they're going through? As well, if not primarily. Somebody shared yesterday Taking offense is as bad as giving offense. 
to think about that. In fact, he shared it and he said, it took me a few years to agree with that statement. And we do, we take, you know, people do things they hurt us and we take offense, we're offended by that, and we hold the offense against that person. And we can hold that offense against a community. God. Because we're offended. And we, that's where we camp out. And there's a great danger of doing that because that will suck life out of us. Because next time we'll talk about anger, and ultimately that means forgiveness. But the only way we're empowered to forgive is when we're comforted with the pain. And there's some, you see, when we remember a painful memory, and we bring it into the present and into the, into the situation, and in that moment we experience comfort, what's happening is I'm experiencing love. A need is being met around a memory that's painful. That literally changes me. It literally contributes to my being transformed and set free and healed. This is why compassion and care is so vital to our healing. Um, and that is an empowering reality. Because I also have to do the work. We went on this Larry Crabb school, and he will talk about people need comfort, but they need divine curiosity. And I like that. In other words... I've also got to be able to think, what is the bigger story? Where is God in this? Has God left me? Or is God in the midst of this situation because he is working something into me? God is good. God is omnipotent or powerful. God is with me, Emmanuel, present to me. God was with me in the midst of that trauma. And God didn't stop being good. That is not up for debate. What's up for debate is my goodness, <laughs> which he's giving to me in boatloads, that I would respond to his goodness. And that he has a destiny for me that is good and complete. In fact, we heard it on Friday or Saturday. You know that scripture, be ye perfect. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is actually a promise. It's like the promise Jesus gives when he says, love me and you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's not a threat. That's a promise. Just love me. Just know me. Just be with me. Just receive me. And you won't be able to do anything else. And God is committed to forming Christ in you. In other words, you're going to be like his son, complete. He's guaranteed it. So there's no question in the goodness of God. So I've got to think, what is God doing now? What does God want to do? How does God want to speak me and shape me? How does God maybe want to use me through this situation for the sake of others? Because, like I said this morning, serving in love is what it means to be human. And every experience contributes to your potential of serving the needs of others for the sake of Christ. So it's a challenge though, when I'm in the midst of pain, to be thinking about the bigger picture. But what helps me catch a glimpse of that is experiencing the bigger picture through the care and compassion of the body. And light begins to come in because you're the light of the world and I'm experiencing the light of the world through you. 
And then eventually the word becomes light to me. And Christ himself reveals himself. And I see that this tapestry, this story he's writing is a beautiful thing. And it includes my pain and my sin and my failings. Because God is redeeming all of that. And he has done. And he's utterly committed to me. There was a guy in a small group on Thursday, and he talked about fairly recently going through a really hard time. And for six months, his dad was at the point of death in hospital. Um, and, you know, he was kind of railing about this and didn't know what was happening. And he said, in the midst of that, he was aware of how little spiritual care there was in the hospital and God spoke to him and he felt the call to be a hospital chaplain because of what his dad was going through and what he was going through in the absence of care and God put it on his heart I can meet a need there beautiful picture of pain to purpose now he could have taken offense of that railed against the hospital system the world doesn't care chaplains couldn't give a monkeys. You see, we can live in that place. It's our choice. But it's the flesh and it brings death. And we're stuck. And we compound the problem because we hurt people when we're hurting. And we need, we need connected community and relationships to help us see the bigger picture. And the enemy uses pain and conflict to keep us from that and we fall we fall for it too many times and we hold ourselves back we isolate we stand in judgment of worst case you know we're not all like that all the time but it's possible isn't it and yet god is still loving us perfectly even when we're like that he never gives up because when we're faithless he remains faithful wonder upon wonder and there may come a time when we we catch a glimpse of that again and we're drawn back in and that's that's hopefulness that's good news but let's become people who can first and foremost will share our pain and respond well to the pain of others because it starts there because pain is inevitable we face trouble don't be surprised And the apostles even say rejoice in that. <laughs> well, that's part of the bigger picture. Just in the midst of it, we're not ready for that. But it's still true. So let's take a few moments as we finish in pairs to practice this, what you said. There are five of you. So what I'd like you to do is, is think of a recent painful experience, one of you. And in pairs, um, listen to that person. You don't have to spend too long, but try and get in touch, you know, feel it and share it. Don't just stay in your head. And, um, and then that other per the person listening gets a chance to respond with some words of comfort. Practice giving comfort. Just sharing 
what you're feeling, which is not thinking, feeling about what you're giving, and then switch roles. Um, hopefully this has been helpful. I'll just reinforce a couple of things as we, as we close. Um, Pain requires effort. It's not always a one-for-one -one situation. More traumatic experiences will require multiple experiences of comfort. It's because, oh, I've cared once, you know, when are we going to get past it and move on? No, we, we don't set the timetable like that. When pain is in touch with, we care. And usually if I'm struggling to come out of that, if I'm struggling to forgive, it's because I need more comfort. That's a reality. And that's okay. And I've discovered, you know, Owning up to our mistakes that cause pain. When we genuinely care about those things, it does not diminish us in the eyes of the other person. You see, when, when I'm not sure of my identity and I've got to perform to be good enough and to be liked and loved, how can I compromise that by owning up to the fact that I did something to hurt you? But I wrestle with that. And I've got to know that it's not dependent upon that. In fact, you're going to think more of me if I own up and care because you know about it anyway. You just want to know it like that. That actually enhances how I'm seen, how we're seen. And, and our witness, I think the power of the gospel must be expressed in some measure through this. The world needs to see that we can be present even in the midst of challenging, conflicting <laughs> situations and be a, a force for good and be a presence to people in a genuine way. Because where else are they going to find that? Where else are they going to find this? Well, they better find it here. Totally. Absolutely. You know, Jesus you know, sent out the, the, the 12 and he says, you know, bless. Heal them, heal them, heal them. Well, that comes out of story. That comes out of meeting with people, hearing how much they're hurting and caring about them, as well as ministering the power of Christ. It's not just physical. It includes that. But you see, remember, we're physical, we're emotional, and we're spiritual. We're body, soul, and spirit. And all of they're interlinked. We get to minister to all of those realms. We're not just saving souls in the sense of another notch. We're actually leading people into freedom and fullness and you know, the abundant life. And yeah, it's got to be a big part. It was with Jesus, we should not be surprised. The thing is, has Jesus touched us in that place? Anyway, be encouraged and work through, particularly, you know, have somebody you're reflecting on this, practicing, notice what's going on. Offer comfort, whether it's somebody you know or a perfect stranger. Be a conduit for the Lord to minister in those ways. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are the great comforter, that you have touched and changed our lives, and you've brought a measure of healing. And we ask for more. We pray that you would increase that upon us. But Lord, may we be ministers of your healing because of you've touched us and we want to release that into the lives of others give us courage lord anoint us for this fill us with the comforter 
and maybe for the, the saving and the, the healing and the transforming of many people's lives for the glory of the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.